Comic Book Club News gives you the comic book news you need to know first thing in the morning every weekday in the form of digestible three to five minute long podcasts. Comic Book Club News recaps breaking news stories from Marvel, DC Comics, and beyond Monday through Friday. New episodes drop 6 a.m. ET in the Comic Book Club News feed so they're ready for you when you're ready for the day. Comic Book Club News. You hear it second or third, possibly fourth. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. What is up, everybody? Welcome to The Stack. I'm Alex. I'm Justin. I'm Pete. And on The Stack, as we have been doing the past couple of weeks, we're going to talk about one of our favorite books of yesteryear. This week, we are going to be talking about Manhunter, Volume 1, Street Justice, written by Mark Andreco, pencils by Jay Lee and Jesus Saeed, inks by Jay Lee, and none other than Jimmy Pamiotti. Now, for a little bit of context here, this was originally released, the series, starting October 2004. This volume came out December 2005. Uh, This collects the first five issues of the series that ultimately ran and got canceled a bunch of different times uh, just because... People were not reading it, honestly. Even that though sucks. It was, I mean, they weren't. Like, okay, it was Alex, love this book. tell it to us straight, huh? Yeah, Alex, why don't you shit on it right from the top? Wow. Well, no, I love this book, and I was so excited. I love to this re- book. I oh. love this book. Well, I guess we're going to have to duel for her hand in marriage. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, this book is great. Uh, this is a very dark take on superheroes. Uh, in the general thrust of the book, it's about Kate Spencer. She is uh, the DA in Los Angeles. Uh, she gets fed up with the turnstile that puts criminals, specifically superpowered criminals on the street, decides to do something about it. And the first arc is her putting on a costume, killing a supervillain and then dealing with the consequences of that, which predictably go very bad, but she smokes, she swears, she kills people. Uh, she yeah. is a divorced mother, not doing a very good job with, Hey, uh, come on. She's That's not, she's doing a very admission. bad job with her son. What? She accidentally left some explosives around that her kid found that could happen to anybody. Wow. Yeah. So lots of stuff going on in here. Uh, Uh, Again, just sort of broad strokes. I think this book, it was so great revisiting it because I feel like it completely not only holds up, but feels relevant today in the same way that it did when it was released. And that's awesome. What what were your guys' takes on this book? This book made me uh, miss 
smoking in restaurants. You know what I mean? Like those were the good old days. <laughs> oh, uh, I mean, you. This book loves smoking. This book. Yeah, there's does. every issue has some sort of like I'm going to smoke in here, and people being like, "Don't." She's like, "I will." Yeah, that was funny. That was there was one part where she's just like in a restaurant and goes to light up, and the waitress is like, uh, "You haven't been able to smoke in here for like five years." Yeah, uh, it's very fun. <laughs> that fun little runner through, but I mean across the board. That that's what I like about this book. It it's a premise we've seen the idea of like I'm going to finally do what needs to be done. Uh, when it comes to villains, like just not letting them go back on the streets is bad for the country. I'm going to take care of it. Um, but this is like feels like it's a little more grounded and laser focused on that idea. And you really I, don't, I just buy it more with Kate Spencer uh, actually out there. Her her life feels really bleak and fucked up all the time. And so, yeah, I, that's why I liked it. I really liked how like she's struggling. She's not killing it in life. She is. Uh, there's a lot of things going on and she's having a hard time, you know, and, uh, I, I find it very relatable. I loved her anger. Uh, I think it's, I thought, I think it's a great take on this character that's been around for a while, a fresh take, if you will. And, uh, yeah, I was, I was sad to see that this book didn't do so well because, uh, it's one of my favorites. Well, but it's it's a successful like it's so hard to create a new character um, in modern comics that lasts like a new hero that really can uh, get legs and go. And I think Man Mark and Draco's Manhunter has really done that. Uh, played a big role in the um, the most recent Brian Michael Bendis crossover there. Uh, so like I think it's it's definitely a success despite the sort of fits and starts it took to keep the character going. Yeah. Well, to talk through that a little bit, so it's I believe it started where they said, hey, this is going to tie into Identity Crisis, which was the big event yeah. that was coming up. In case you folks listening don't remember that, uh, that was by ba- Brad Metzler. Meltzer? Meltzer. Meltzer. Uh, uh, who, uh, and it was a, a, a similarly grounded murder mystery set in the DC universe. Um, very controversial story for a lot of reasons, yes. but it was certainly highly anticipated at the time. And so they were trying to give Manhunter the best way of launching that it possibly could. From there, and I'll admit, I love this so much that like, I, I tried to hold back and only read the things we're talking about, but I was sitting here in quarantine and the uh, other, I have the other two volumes of my bookcase and I was like, I'll just, I'll just read those. I'll wow. just go ahead and read them. Oh, Alex and taking each, advantage of the quarantine to do what he wants. It's yeah, Alex. Time. I don't care. We're all no living rules. on Alex. Salvin don't give no a fuck. It's funny because uh, I actually, Alex's job called me and I had to step in for him for like, Two hours today because he was too busy. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for doing that, by the way. Manhunter. I was right on the brink. I almost got fired, but you uh, you talked them into firing me, is I think what happened. <laughs> That's right. I'm sort of like a fun Ferris Bueller who doesn't care what happens to people. Yeah. <laughs> cool, man. That's a good Let's way drive to describe that car you. right out of my dad's house. Uh, so interesting the- how quickly you put yourself in that role, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, yeah, um, I mean, I'm Cameron. I'm not super happy. <laughs> Between and, the two of us, who is the Ferris Bueller here? I mean, I'm I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm not saying you're wrong. <laughs> and of course, Pete is the principal. Yes. Oh wow! Chasing us around town, trying to give us a truancy. Come on, man. Lay off of it. 
get off my jock. Anyway, the reason that I brought it up, though, is that over the course of the run, they kept really, they clearly had a lot of faith in this book and kept trying to tie it in intrinsically into the, all the events that were happening. Uh it goes on beyond that third volume, which is, I believe, the first time it was canceled was issue 23. And then ultimately they went up to issue 38. Kate Spencer, as you were saying, was brought into various other books. I think she was moved to Gotham City and it was like not Gotham City Central, but whatever followed up on that. Uh, she was also in Birds of Prey when Gail Simone rebuted it. Yeah. But even the book itself, it tied into... I don't know. I want to say like countdown and 52. And there was all these things where I was like, Oh, I vaguely remember this with these super villains going to muck in Metropolis. But there was these things where like, they kept trying to give the book a uh, proper footing to work in the greater universe. But I think you can tell from the first pages of this volume, the way that Jesus says uh, draws it and the way Jimmy Pamiati inks it, it's so dark. Like there's yeah. Copperhead yeah. who's this hideous snake like villain or a lizard-like villain snake. who's uh, broken. Snake. Yeah, there you go. He just has legs. It's confusing. Uh, he's broken out of a police vehicle. That's a kind of a flash forward, flashback type situation, but it's bloody. It's disgusting. There's piles of bodies. When eventually we meet Kate and Copperhead, Copperhead is in chains, Hannibal Lecter style, this ch- uh, ch- trial and it's terrifying like the whole thing across the board yeah he does yeah so what did you think about that opening what did you think about the way that they introduced kate spencer in this book uh it's it's I just thought- emotionally dark like her as a character like doesn't give you that sort of i'm just a person living a normal life and i'm making this choice to uh heroically sacrifice my life to go do these harder things she's like her life is not happy, but she's like, well, I'm going to do this because I'm pissed and uh, goes out and starts fighting crime and then murdering people. Yeah, I was really impressed with like the gore and kind of like the violence the way it started off with, you know, I think it, they did a good job of like setting the tone of like, OK, this is going to be different. This isn't going to be like your normal bright and sunny. Here's a person who's got all their shit together. I mean, she barely does much right. And so uh, I thought it was a, a set it apart from other books and stuff that I've read. So I thought that was a powerful start. And even like the fucked up dream that happens later that Batman's in, I was like, oh, shit, like this is crazy. And then kind of like the dream reveal. And I was like, OK, all right, few. But it's kind of like setting this thing of like. We're really going to push things and we're going to go places. So uh, uh, I think they did a great job with that. Just to clarify about that dream sequence. So this starts off, I want to say the second, probably the third issue, right? Where she so. dreams she's going into Arkham Asylum. She's already killed Copperhead in the real world. This, this is a second issue, yeah. Second issue. She's in Arkham Asylum. She's going in. She kills the Joker. She kills all of the rest of the Batman villains, frees Batman. And he immediately is like, what are you doing? You can't kill people. How dare you? And it turns out it's this stress dream that she's having off of what she's done. So to take a step back, though, and kind of tie into this, why do you but think... But not we... just... It's not just the... Like, that would be one thing if it was Batman just being like, hey, you can't do that, but Batman hits her. And it's like, what the fuck are you doing? Well, he doesn't say fuck, but like... And I was like, <laughs> whoa, Batman doesn't... This isn't the Batman that I've ever seen. So like... The dream that Batman. Was like, yeah. yeah. It's the Batman who hits people. 
Yeah. Mm, I, yes. I was, uh, yeah, I was so happy it was a dream because I got real worried about like the comic the first time I read it. Because you didn't want Batman to hit people? Well, or yeah, you don't I didn't like want dreams. Batman. <laughs> I didn't want Batman to hit her. Oh, okay. uh, but How you, do you also, feel about dreams? You, you don't like dreams, though, right, Pete? Yeah. Yeah, I don't have them. You don't have them at all? Yeah, the key is to just pass out and then wake up and repeat. You know what I mean? Mm. Ah, repeat what, what the page. What phrase did you use? You called them bad night comics? Right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, when you have an anxiety dream, like Kate does in this section, what happens in your stress anxiety dreams? Uh uh, you know, it's usually like I have to, I'm back at an old job or something that I hated. Like what? Be be specific. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like what job, Pete? Back at retail, working at retail. Oh, okay. Where in what? retail? What what, you, what uh, company? What are you being investigation? Just tell us. Well, I don't know why you fucking why you're being so specific about this. Because of, this is a conversation. I'm not your parents asking you what you did last night. I'm just like, hey, buddy. Though what's I the would d- like to know what you did last night, Pete. <laughs> Why'd you get home what so late? What were you up to? What were you out doing? Yeah, you and your friends. You think you're your friends? What are those friends? Were you They're losers. smoking? Were you smoking, Pete? Because I could smell it out of your breath, Pete. Yes, oh exactly right. You try yeah, to hide it with that minty gum. You don't know anything about me. You don't know what it's like. I'm out of here. Okay, I think Storm's he's out on. of here so we can talk about Manhunter. Right. Uh, wait, so the question that I wanted to ask, though, is if we accept the fact that Kate is this character who at least is having enough stress dreams that she kind of regrets what she was doing in terms of killing Copperhead, she's clearly good at being a DA. She, but that's pretty much it. Like, she's not a great superhero yet. She's not a great mom. She's not a great wife. She's divorced. Um, she's not great at being a human being or relating to other people. So why do we identify with a character like this? Why are we interested in reading about a character like this? Because she's think- trying to be a hero and do good. That's why. Yeah, what I think is so smart about the way it's done is we are in her head the whole time. She's like, ah, I, I messed that up. Like, you get to really... Mm-hmm. You you believe her and you sort of ride with her, I think, because she she's so honest in her uh, in her in her monologue. Um, and we don't have to be making we don't judge her because we know what she's actually thinking and what she think she's thinking is good. Yeah. yeah. Uh, two aspects that get set up pretty quickly in the series. The first one is that she actually found her costume. This isn't revealed until several volumes down the road. I think it's in the third, maybe towards the end of the second volume or the beginning of the third volume. But her costume is made up of a couple of different things. Uh, she is actually wearing a Dark Stars costume, which comes off of the Green Lantern continuity. They're sort of like evil Green Lanterns. Uh, her gauntlets... Oh, gosh, I'm forgetting where her gauntlets are from. Uh, but Oh, they're from Azrael, from the evil Batman. Uh, yeah, and then her staff checks. is is actually from uh, a previous Manhunter that's uh, slightly working off of Starman tech as well. So the thing that they do that I think is so smart is Mark and Draco 
clearly right at the beginning, even though it doesn't give us the information between that. And it turns out later she's actually related to several superheroes uh, from the DC universe. So there's various other ties. She was a roommate with somebody, uh, Cameron Chase, I think her name is, uh, who uh, is an investigator for the DEO. She ends up working for the DEO. But there's all this stuff that's very laid in very early that clearly pays off later on in the run, but it's not necessary for enjoying it in the first place, which I think is kind of great. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's not necessary. Uh, the way it's very smart, everything, through every issue throughout this first run really just tells you the story that's right in front of you. It doesn't give you or dwell on all that classic origin stuff where it's like, so what is the deal with all this? The schematic of the gloves and all that. No, we don't need to know that. We just need to know that she goes and hassles this guy into becoming her like tech guy, and he's like, "Hey, I made these a little yeah. bit better." Uh, but also, what I like about it is like you're rooting for her in a way that's like very interesting. Where you're like, you're you're almost rooting for her more to be a better person than she is at uh, being a superhero. Like, what happened to her kid is so fucked up. You're like, oh, my God, yeah. you've got to really get on this. You can't forget about when your kid's coming to visit and, like, you know, you can't leave weapons around, you know? Like, uh, it's 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 almost like that part is almost more intense than the fun superhero yeah. stuff. And oh. it's, it's very interesting that way. Well, that part in particular, I think, is one of the more powerful sequences that happens in the first volume. So she's gone through her first two, maybe three battles as a superhero, and she doesn't know where to leave her costume. She doesn't know to know where know where to leave her staff. And it's ultimately it's in the closet, but her son finds it and uses it. And it's a perfect superhero metaphor for having a gun around the house, right? Yeah. Like it's the same exact thing plays out in exactly the same way. Um, and it turns out okay in the long run, but I love that, that they're playing out like, you know, I'm not the biggest fan of the Punisher or just a quote unquote hero who goes out and kills people. The fact that they are playing it out semi-realistically with Kate Spencer, where she is a superhero that kills, so she basically, she's like, no, I'm taking my gun and I'm killing people. But that her gun does end up causing a tragedy in her own house with her kid is a very realistic and true thing to happen. And the fact that it's through the metaphor of a superhero makes it, I think, all the much more stronger. Yeah. Yeah, yeah for sure. Great. Uh I also like the uh, – well, and that was the end of the second issue, I think, and what a horrifying cliffhanger it was. Just really well-timed and well-paced. Um, but the uh, the fight with the Shadow Thief I thought was really great and one where yeah, you, you really was like, were like, oh, jeez, I, I don't think she's going to come out of this right. I, I think <laughs> yeah. she, she's not doing well. Yeah, you're really worried for her in this fight and uh, – yeah, like it's it's so intense and like there's no nobody else in the world because there's a lot of time when you're watching a superhero thing or or uh, reading a superhero comic, you're like, oh, well, so-and-so is going to save the day or be able to catch them or whatever last minute show up. But it's just her. So like the str- the struggle of her on the rooftop going like ha- literally hanging by her fingertips was or her claw tips or whatever. Um but yeah, it was just really intense and uh 
yeah, I just uh, I couldn't I couldn't. Uh, it was such a well kind of set up and drawn and and told story. What did you think so of this the is death? To give would this you think, a little bit of? Would you think oh, of the death gonna... of everyone's favorite character, Firestorm? Wait, which character? Firestorm. Yes. So, yeah, just to give it a little bit of context, this is uh, this is the part that specifically spins off of Identity Crisis. About halfway through the series, Shadow Thief, who is a insane supervillain, has like kind of like a venomy shadow suit sort of thing going on and a second voice in his head, uh, kills Firestorm, runs away, finds out that his friend Copperhead has been killed and goes after Kate Spencer as a result. And that really kicks things into the second half of the volume and also leads into the events and reverberates throughout the second volume and things that happen there as well. And it is intense and it is dark. And the other thing that I really like about it is it does give these shades of we're not going to have it like Kate comes in every issue and kills a supervillain. And that's the issue of the week. It's that she understands that there are shades and differences there in terms of how she deals with the villains, I think is a very smart character choice as well. Yeah. I also really liked um, how, like, this kind of iteration of Manhunter, it's it's a a woman uh, doing it, where before it's been a bunch of dudes. So this was also, like, a real cool kind of powerful choice as well. Um, Yeah. I mean, it it goes into a, a lot of different directions, but I just think it's interesting kind of, like, setup of, like, putting you in the middle of the shit and then seeing if somebody can literally claw claw their way out of it. Now, what do you think? I feel like after this, the, this volume or like the end of the, the run of this initial uh, first, uh, first 38 issues, it feels like the character sort of softened a little bit. She doesn't, she makes more jokes. She isn't quite as hard edged. Um, how do you feel about that? Because I think that it feels like it's, it takes a little bit of the edge off. I mean, this is a character that I would say Mark and Draco owns almost in the same way that James Robinson owns Starman, you know, like yeah. nobody has written Kate Spencer better than Mark and Draco, like Mark and Draco got her forward and backwards. He clearly had this very concrete plan for her history, where things go, um, to talk about the Manhunter thing. When you get into subsequent volumes, it actually delves very heavily into the history of the Manhunters and even to the point of what we were talking about, where she showed up in the middle of the event Leviathan thing, where ultimately it was revealed that Mark Shaw, former Manhunter, was the bad guy. Mark Shaw is in the book, like he's a character of the book. And they do a very good job with his character and throwing him into the mix with Kate in a very different way. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that's that's a temptation, right? Like, you're making comics for everyone, so the default is to make it a little more accessible. You know, if she was going out and putting her son in a coma and smoking and cursing <laughs> and sleeping with random guys and killing supervillains all over the place, that's just not going to work in the same book as Superman. Right. I also think that, like, yeah, she does soften a little bit, and she even talks about early on, like, um, it's hard to fight and quip, you know? So, like, it's interesting about characters who kind of find that naturally, and it kind of is cool to hear as a hero talks about, like, the struggle of that, you know? Of the quipping. Yeah, the quipping. Being able to yeah. quip. 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 There we go. Were those quips? <laughs> 
Yeah, when you don't have a quip, you can just say quip and come back and write it later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. That's like why Spider-Man, his sound effect is thwip, because it's, uh, it sounds like quip. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, that was a quip. Yeah, that was a quip there. Yeah. Oh, Throw there a quip uh, One character I did want to talk about that we touched on very briefly that I absolutely love, not as much as Kate, but pretty close, is Dylan Battles, who is introduced pretty early on as well. This is her tech guru. The great idea, there's such a smart idea here is he is a henchman and he was the tech guy for yeah. basically every supervillain. And you that get to was see fun this montage. Yeah. It's great. You get to see he worked for Black Manta. He worked for, I want to say, Penguin, maybe Mr. Freeze. And it plays in so well across the series. The thing that's great about his character is he's the tech guru. He looks like a nerd. He has all of this equipment that he has saved from all of his supervillain exploits. But he's also like a total Lothario and gets with absolutely every woman all the time, which is such a like weird, funny detail to contrast with everything else going on with him. I mean, henchmen, you're out there, you're meeting mm-hmm. people, you're in the game. And, you know, with that hench uh, life, that hench life, it's crazy. You never know you're going to fall oh. into bed with another hench, henchman or henchwoman. Mm-hmm. Also, what's interesting is like how um, – like scared she is of superheroes. You know what I mean? Like uh, when Martian Manhunter and stuff comes to, and uh, Hawkman like comes to her office, um, that's such an intense couple of panels, you know? Well, what would you do if Hawkman showed up to your office? I'd be like, hell yeah, Hawkman, what's up? Welcome. Well, first you'd be, be like, yo, we're under quarantine. Up. You got to you gotta yeah. go somewhere else. You can't be here in the office you, right Wait, now. first off, you're going to tell Hawkman to put a shirt on? That dude must smell bay a d, not good. <laughs> no shirt. He's just wearing like a belt, couple belts around his body. Yeah, but that's what deodorant. You know, put on a bunch of deodorant. You think Hawkman, very angry man, is putting deodorant on? Plus, do you put deodorant yeah. on under the wings? Oh, great question. Yeah. Which which member of the Justice League? Though, honestly, which member of the Justice League smells good? Because I'm going to say none of them. Oh, come on. Hawkman definitely smells gross, like Justin was saying. Uh, Aquaman smells like the sea and fish. Terrible. Mm. Not terrible. It depends. He might have a nice sort of salty. Sometimes it's something like the smell of the ocean, you know? I think Batman doesn't sweat like a motherfucker? Like, he always has 5 o'clock shadow at 9 a.m. Like, he is just sweating all the time in that suit. Well, plus, you know, the capes are like blankets. You're going to be hot. Sure. The Flash is running everywhere. He's sweating up a storm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that would be. But Mm -hmm. he could also run and shower, but then by the time he runs back, oh, man. Stinks again. He stinks again. Yeah. Uh, Maybe Superman just naturally smells good, though. (laughs) I think I would think more Martian Manhunter smells good. Naturally, because he's got like sort of a Martian vibe, you know, Mars. Yeah. Yeah. So if we were to say one bad thing about this comic book, I think it's that they didn't describe how the Justice League smells. But otherwise, (laughs) it's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. That's I want to see. When are we going to see the stink lines? Where are we with the stink lines (laughs) in the comic book world? Yeah, when they started the Justice League, the idea was to make a pig pen comic book, and it ran out of control. Get back oh. to the original idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. The, <laughs> Clouds, yeah. dust, stick lines, all that stuff going on. Exactly. Uh, any final thoughts? On, 
<laughs> any final thoughts on Manhunter? Uh, other things that uh, you'd want to say about the book? Scenes that bounced out to you? Yeah, I just like the fact that they like, you know, we kind of normally in like a, uh, they gave a little, uh, they talked about sidekicks, you know what I mean? Like he got stories. He's a part of the team. Like we're, we're I like that it's, it's, it was a part of it moving forward. Like we got the kind of origin story a little bit. So I was happy about that. It wasn't just like a foggy Nelson type of treatment where it was just like, yeah, and there's this guy here who kind of is an important part of it, but we don't give him the credit that he is ever due. So um, I kind of appreciated that. Uh, but um, overall, I just think it was such a cool idea to have such a flawed character kind of struggle in a way and kind of us kind of give immediately start to root for something. Justin, what about you? Uh, I guess I want to give it up for the, the action sequences in this book. I feel like uh, they're really great. They're really uh, smartly edited. Like we don't really get to see the full Copperhead battle. We just get to see a bunch of it and then uh, see him beaten. We get to see him eat people and the aftermath, uh, but we don't have to see the whole thing. Like it makes for a much more satisfying read. We get more story because we're getting to fill in the gaps in our head of the action sequences. And I like that a lot. Yeah, this is a great book. I think, unfortunately, it's out of print right now. So really, you're only going to get it on a secondary market or used books or something like that. Though I believe it's on Comixology and other sites as well. So you might be able to download it that way. Um, But it's great. Definitely read the first volume. If you never have, you'll be completely hooked. And as we mentioned, it is as current now as it was when it was first published. At the very least, read through the first three volumes if you like it. That's a nice, satisfying run, but I believe it went up to five volumes total. Pete, you had a final, final, final thought. Well, I just, I remembered uh, also it was in Leviathan. Manhunters uh, were part of the Leviathan. That was a pretty recent crossover, too. That's yes, true. What a Pete. good new point to bring up. <laughs> we mentioned that a little earlier, Pete. Oh, I'm sorry. Nah, it's all right. That's okay, man. It's totally yeah, don't worry about it. So you were probably having an anxiety dream about (laughs) working in retail or whatever secrets. You're probably having one of your night bad comics, I bet. (laughs) If you want to support our show, Patreon. If you want to support our show, patreon.com slash comic book club. Also, we do a live show every Tuesday at 7 p.m. direct to the internet on Crowdcast and YouTube. Come hang out with us there. They have been a lot of fun. You can subscribe to this podcast in its own feed on iTunes, Android, Spotify, Stitcher, or the app of your choice. On iTunes, please leave us a comment. We appreciate those a whole lot. Comicbookclublive.com for this podcast and many more. We'll see you next time. <laughs>